It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. We're back with a nostalgia overload, a glimpse back at sunnier times through rose-tinted spectacles. If you like the 2000s, or the noughties as they call it, you're in the right place. If you're into football, which you should be, you're skulking around on the What If Football YouTube channel after all, then you're also in the right place. This is the Naughty's Nostalgia Football Podcast. Each week, my esteemed pal AJ Alex Rhodes and I, Jake Doyle, hop into our football time machine and to the 2000s to select a footballing moment of the time to pick the bones of. How are we doing on this fine July afternoon? <laughs> Yeah, good mate, you? Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. Not too bad, yeah. It's not really a fine afternoon, but... Nah, it's bollocks, isn't it? It's raining. Slogged my guts off at work, and now I'm here. Good lad. (laughs) Key worker. Key worker, soon to be refurloughed, but there we go. Shall we crack on with our our esteemed podcast then? (laughs) Rafa Benitez having a minor meltdown in front of the press <laughs> in a, a title race. This just is one from the 2000s in. then? Yeah, it just squeaks in with a 2009 mm-hmm. moment. So it is. For me, probably one of the best seasons of the night is one of the Big best. Big time, yeah. Tightly con- I mean, to be fair, it's one of the best decades for like tightly contested leagues. In terms of but, English football, definitely, definitely. Yeah, but obviously in this one you've got United versus Liverpool, so <laughs> it's just incredible. And to be fair, I think people look back on this moment, which is Rafa Benitez, you know, having a rant about Ferguson, mainly about the respect campaign and the way he treats referees, or the way Rafa implied that he treats referees. People think, oh, I said this and then, Liverpool kind of crumbled, but after it, Liverpool beat United 4-1, so it was still very much alive despite this moment. Yeah. But for me, I I just think it's just a key moment of that campaign where... It's seen as a turning point, isn't it? Yeah, I think Ferguson is a genius, and 
I don't agree with Rafa and what he said in terms of he should have been fined. Fergie should have been fined, but he was very clever in knowing what he could say about referees and getting away with it. Oh, I definitely have a tipping point to what he'd say. So, I mean, Rafa's listed Ferguson's too much too much touchline ban and £10,000 fine after confronting Mike Dean after a whole match later on, yeah. earlier on that year. Steve Bennett got named as the Man United Wigan referee for the second time in a year after not giving Wigan a penalty for a Rio Ambo. Yeah. And he com- Rafa complained that playing earlier than Man United the previous season hampered them. Whereas I'm more of the thinking that if you play after and your rivals win, then the pressure's on you. Yeah, exactly. Surely if you're playing before, you then get an advantage. Say, say if you're two points behind, you get a win on the Saturday lunchtime. Yeah. The other team psychologically are thinking, oh, now we're second. We've got to go and get some it now. So, I mean, and then he stated that uh, Alex Ferguson should organise a fixture so no one can complain really flippantly. Well, he's part of it is him blaming Sky Sports and Satanta for, for, you know, messing fixtures about and moving fixtures about. But I think it's just, it does come down to just win the games you can whenever they are. That's a sign of a good team, especially now. You look at the fixtures. Um, obviously, even before coronavirus football, um, it was still crazy fixture-wise. So maybe yeah. there is something there. Maybe it was a little bit of like a uh, looking into the future moment from Rafa, because fixtures have only got crazier. But teams have had to adapt to crazy fixtures. Well, I mean, these, I remember a fixture being played in 2000 where Leeds played Man United at half 11 in the morning. I mean, it would, yeah. we don't get that sort of thing every now, now and then. But it's like we've got late fixtures on Saturdays. I mean, we, we seem to be moving in England. We seem to be moving towards a Spanish model of playing everything consecutively. So every game gets on telly. I know, the, I know that's just for the COVID season. And I yeah. think things are going back to normal. But, but when uh, Rafa said this, Liverpool were seven points ahead in the league. Two games played more than Man United and yeah. instantly they dropped points, which is why I think people seem to pinpoint this press conference as a big turning point in the league. Obviously, United would then beat Chelsea and Wigan and go top within and still have a game in hand. Yeah, Steve Bennett was referee for Wigan again. Yeah, he was. <laughs> which is ironic. It's, I think I'd, it's hilarious. They must have known about that and just done it for a laugh. Perhaps because I mean you see a lot of um, a lot of referees. Well, you see a lot of abuse for referees on Twitter before they've even refereed the game, saying, "Oh, Michael Oliver again," or you know, Mark Clattenburg again. Whereas I think yeah. referees, when they when they're good, they're never going to be mentioned, and that's probably how it should be. Sort of like a silent hero. You only you only should notice them when they're being bad. So I oh, guess that's time, why yeah. people. We'll be talking about referees later on. With a big yeah, clanger in the two thousand. It's a good <laughs> referee special, isn't it? So I mean, one of the quotes from Rafa was that Ferguson was killing the referees, killing Mr. Atkinson, <laughs> killing Mr. Hackett, but he is not punished. I wouldn't say it's compressed any because it's probably happened before with Eliza Brian Clough, but oh, big time. I mean, it was probably the Keegan moment of the noughties again against yeah, United. Yeah. Again, a manager going on a run and then going on to lose a, a winning position in the league. It's quite interesting, really. 
there's one constant and it's Alex Ferguson knowing, as you said, yeah. knowing how to wind other managers up. Like, I mean, he got under the skin of uh, Wenger. I mean, I think the only manager he didn't wind up who was a constant rival was Mourinho. I think Mourinho did it yeah. the other way around. And I think that's why Ferguson yeah, yeah, yeah. has a lot of respect for Mourinho. I mean, he respe- yeah, I, think, yeah. I think he respects Wenger for what he's done at Arsenal and what he's done for English football. And outside of that, I don't think in the Premier League anyway, because obviously he managed, he was assistant manager with Scotland under Jock Steen and obviously he's one of the best managers ever. Yeah. I think the only people who sort of has that respect for Wenger and Mourinho, Mourinho gives a bit back. I don't think Big he time. has much respect for Rafa, <laughs> to be fair. I mean, he definitely <laughs> didn't then. I mean, looking back at this might be kind of hazy memories, but... I don't really think it was provoked that much. Like it did seem to come a little bit out of nowhere with with Rafa just going on this rant. Yeah, it did just pop up, didn't it? It was yeah. It was it was odd, but yeah. Maybe it was Steve Bennett's fault. <laughs> pre prepared five minute speech. Yeah. That that's probably not happened before. Oh, I'm trying to think. I think I mean, there's been rants and, and breakdowns and un, unrehearsed, spontaneous moments, like we said, Keegan. Well, that was just out of the blue. You could tell. Oh, yeah, lady, yeah. Was it? But like Rafa's <laughs> come out there with a sheet of paper. He's written it all down pretty much. United would then beat Bolton away whilst Liverpool drew at home and opened up a seven-point lead with a game in hand with Liverpool yeah. to come on March the 14th. So the title effectively could have been over. Ronaldo yeah. puts United ahead. Liverpool equalised through Fernando Torres, who always seemed to get the better of Vidic. And then, obviously, Gerard, Dossena, Aurelio, <laughs> the Liverpool yeah. stalwarts of the time, beat United 4-1. United collapse, losing to Fulham. We're 2-1 down at home to Villa, who were really good then, pushing for Champions League. Needed a late equaliser from Ronaldo. And then Makeda, obviously. Yeah. And then the league title was clinched a few weeks Just later. About. Yeah. And I mean, in Premier League terms, it was the closest that Liverpool had got to the Premier League by that point. Not as close as obviously 2014 or last year. Yeah. And it was starting to seem like they were going to be bottleless forever and obviously this year they've won it. So. Best of all, we've a special season and I think that game deserves a mention as well because it did feature a lot of the key figures of that decade but from both teams definitely so well it, well, it wasn't just United and Liverpool either it was the likes of Arsenal Chelsea I mean we were quite lucky growing up that we well English football from about I think from when Liverpool won the Champions League against Milan the way they won it and obviously England's golden generation all that bollocks we had we were quite dominant in Europe like for like four seasons. I think there were three English teams in the semi-finals. There were yeah. always an English team in the final. And then for about seven, eight years, they weren't any. Maybe you had the odd exception, Chelsea in 2012 and Liverpool in 2018. But apart from that, it's, sort of, it's quite cyclical because English teams, obviously, last year, all four were in the final. Maybe with Pep and Liverpool going back to that sort of uh, dominance for English yeah. football. But Rafa will always be a legend for that, I think. Well, Rafa coming into this, he won 
He wasn't inexperienced because obviously with Valencia, he's won the UEFA Cup, couple of La Ligas, taking over Liverpool, won the Champions League's first season. I mean, yeah. Liverpool were infinitely better with him and obviously he seems to garner love from every club that he seems to manage apart from obviously Chelsea and Inter Milan where he took over from Mourinho. Yeah. Um, and Newcastle obviously where he's just where he left last year where the fans sort of seem to worship him and I think he has that quality about him somehow. Definitely, yeah. Seems like a guy but just a strange moment. Very strange. That, it were uncharacteristic really from him, yeah, I think. I think it was, yeah. Big time. So obviously it touched on referees a lot in that little bit. So do you want yeah. to do your bit? Right, so on this day in July 29th, 57 years ago, Graham Paul was born. And <laughs> obviously not born in the 2000s, but his famous moment, most famous moment, of course, would have been in the 2000s. So he started as a linesman for five years in the EFL, spent a couple of years as a referee in the Football League, and then ended up 14 years tenured in the Premier League, getting his FIFA badge in 1996. And probably by the turn of the millennium, so now we're into the 2000s, is probably England's biggest, most known official maybe, perhaps is like yeah. Uriah Rennie, Mike Riley, some others, I guess. Um, I think we'll be, up, we'll be a bit before the celebrity referee like Clattenburg with his tattoos and you've got <laughs> obviously Mike Dean <laughs> a bit before then. But he's probably the most prominent referee in the Premier League. He did between 40 and 50 games each season between 99 and 2000 and 2006-2007. The last season of which came after the biggest moment of his career, which uh, we'll get on to in a minute. But some of Paul's highlights, he refereed the 2000 FA Cup final, the last one at the Old Wembley, the 2002 League Cup final and the 2005 UEFA Cup final. Can you tell me who, re- who played in that UEFA Cup final in 2005? No. <laughs> CSKA Moscow and Sporting Lisbon. Wow. One of the most obscure finals, I think. And then refereed in the Euros in 2000. Once in the 2002 World Cup, Somehow missed Euro 2004, but then came back at the 2006 World Cup in the group stages, looked all set to be on course to referee the final, got given three group games, South Korea versus Togo, Saudi Arabia versus Ukraine, these big matches, and then Croatia versus Australia, the big crunch game from Group F, I think. Brazil were on six points, Australia three, Croatia and Japan had one point. Brazil beat Japan, so that meant it was down to Australia and Croatia. Whoever won was going through, and if Australia could get a point, they're going through. The scores were level two all going into the final five minutes. And can you tell me what happened in the uh, last minute? Book someone for the second time. Book someone for the second time, yeah. Dario Simic got his second yellow after 85 minutes and was sent off. Brett Emerton got his second yellow and got sent off two minutes later. But Josip Simunic got his second yellow but stayed on. And then upon blowing the final whistle, he then sent him off, which always puzzled me. But then apparently reading up on the notes, apparently it was for dissent of the final whistle, probably Simunic frustrated with Croatia's exit. Um, 
But he himself didn't get sacked by FIFA. He asked FIFA if he could be excused from the tournament, which is something I didn't know. And no, he I didn't know that. surprisingly continued to referee in the Champions League and international football in the year of 2008 qualifiers, but retired from tournament football, saying he was too old and he needed to give something a bit back to the younger referees and would retire 12 months later on with his final game being at the new Wembley, I think, in the championship playoff final against between Derby and West Brom. And as we were saying earlier, referees are probably more well-known if they make huge errors. I mean, Graham Paul yeah. was probably the biggest name for referees and they want that. I mean, I couldn't tell you a game he'd refereed without researching. So like the Euros or the World Cup in 2002, but everybody remembers. If you say Graham Paul, if you typed it into Google, it'll say three yellow cards. Mm. So my question to you is, are referees, are they bastards or are they actually normal people? I think this kind of proves that the majority of them are just normal people who make mistakes. I think it was, I'm not obviously defending him, but it was a bizarre moment and it's it's just crazy to think about. I think as well, you saying there, like at the end, it sent him off, which probably people don't realise that he did after the final whistle. But, and then if you do know that, you're going to think, well, surely you knew that you were already booked. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing I, I do, I, I, think, thought... I, I just think referees in general don't see a question properly. But, yeah, most of them seem all right. It's interesting now that most, a lot of them are celebrities, like you say. And, you know. A lot of them aren't recognised unless they do something bad, which is kind of sad, really, because everyone make, makes mistakes in the jobs at some point. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. Do it in a World Cup, fine, in a World no. Cup. <laughs> he's the biggest game he's ever ref. Well, yeah. maybe one of the, in the, definitely his top three or five. I mean, the excuse could be Simic and Simunic are quite similarly named, but even Simic was sent off. Yeah. So, I mean, and it was. That World Cup was really bizarre because there was a lot of yellow and red cards. Do you remember the Battle of Nuremberg game? Yeah. Between Portugal and Holland, four red cards. Yeah. It were were kind of came out of nowhere, really, because I think it was around the time where referees weren't necessarily as strict, but you could get more yellow cards in a game because you, you couldn't, they weren't as lenient which it seems like a complete oxymoron of a sentence, but the threshold for a yellow card had gone drastically down in terms of you couldn't yeah. two-foot someone and just get away with it like in, the say, the 70s or 80s or whatever. Whereas it's like another referee, another English referee in a World Cup, World Cup final, Howard Webb. I mean, he'd give away like 15, 16 yellow cards and a red card, and it were, I mean, if like a generic referee from Premier League safe, like Mike Dean was refing it, could have sent everyone off. I mean, it was that bad of a game. I mean, the yeah, yeah. The, uh, Nigel de Jong karate kick sort of thing. Yeah. So it is hard for referees to sort of get things right. Howard Webb got booed in that game when collecting his medal from both sets of fans. Both fans hate him. Even Spanish fans, and they won the uh, they won the game. I think you've got you've got to understand that as well. Like obviously nowadays. And even in them days, 10 years ago now, it was still a red card, still a straight red card, but it's World Cup final and it's the first, you know, few minutes and you don't want to send someone off. 
Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. You, you, but I mean, the a lot of referees ref the occasion, like you'll see in Man, in like a Manchester derby or a North London derby, a tackle yeah, exactly, flying, and yeah. they'll be like, "Oh, it's too early for a yellow card." When in actuality, yeah. I mean, it's never too early for a yellow or a red no, card, is it? Because you set that bar and then keep yeah. it for every game. It's ridiculous that some games do seem to get different treatment than others. Yeah, the but, occasion gets refereed more than the yeah. physical sort of the actions of both players or certain players. I mean, not to continually beat him up about mistakes, as we've already discussed that referees often are. He was the centre of a controversy a few years before this, still in the 2000s. Merseyside Derby at Goodison Park. I don't know if you remember it. Sander Vestervelt kicked the ball at Don Hutchison's back in the final minute. I mean, usually full-time whistles are blown when there's a goal kick or a set piece and it just yeah. goes into the middle and then it's game over. Well, Vestervel does this, hits Don Hutchinson in the back, the ball goes in, but Graham Paul disallowed the goal as he had blown the whistle before it hit Hutchison's back, or so he says. Yeah. But the replays showed that he blew the whistle after the ball hit Hutchison, so it should have stood. Yeah. And so, right. I mean, obviously That's these... Tricky one. Well, obviously, these, yeah, you, you do try and wait for the right moment to blow the whistle. You're not going to please everyone, I guess. That must be no. what players on referees' minds like. Oh, if we're blowing our bees, we're pissed off. But sometimes you don't get that moment where it's kind of a neutral dead ball to blow the whistle, do you? So no. Well, I mean, I wonder if that I'd, if I'd have even picked up on that or remembered it. If like I didn't know Graham Paul did that, I just remember it happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do. I wonder if that would be picked up on if it was like say I don't know Charlton versus Tottenham. And it wasn't like a big yeah. game. It wasn't like a Merseyside derby. And it wasn't like... I mean, it didn't change either, place, either team's seasons, but like it's a Merseyside yeah. derby. It's Everton versus Liverpool, and it's big, big um, fixture. I think Paul seemed like a nice guy. Compared to some refs these days, who seem a bit villainous. He, was, he genuinely is one who seemed <laughs> like, all right. And maybe that was his downfall, like... Maybe down mm. deep down, he just didn't want to send the guy off. Well, <laughs> he was just being too nice, but it probably just the chaos of the situation. Too many yellow cards at the same time, and just. I think half of the his Simeonich's actual red card were just an oh shit moment. I've just I've booked him twice, and yeah. then I've got to sort of. It's one of those something bad happens. You like do I do something about it? It's already happened now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he should have just maybe when he realised sent him off, but because it didn't impact on the tournament because. Croatia had, you know, Croatia had been eliminated, so he wasn't suspended for the last sixteen no. game. Or you know, it, hmm. it's a shame, really. That's but I, he could have refereed the World Cup final, but I think it went to yeah. Anders Frisk or someone like that. I can't, right. I can't remember. It was fourteen years ago now. Anyway, there's any modern day refs that you like? Then are they all bastards to you? No, I mean most of them. I couldn't name you all the referees in the Premier League now, which I think is a good thing. Because, I mean, yeah. that it, everyone knows Matt Clattenburg, Mike Dean, Michael Oliver. Although Michael Oliver's neither here nor there, is he? Just, I think people recognise him because he looks a bit younger and he's a bit young to be a referee sort of thing. Whereas yeah, Mike yeah. Dean's just a complete, I mean, arsehole. Or, <laughs> I think he tries to be. And I think that's part I think of he his definitely mystique. definitely playing up to it now. I don't think he... I don't think he did anything on purpose, but he does it now. Now it's become like a bit of a meme and stuff. He definitely plays yeah. up to it. He definitely, Whereas before, he was just a bit, bit of an odd character. 
like it all started with that. I think, well, first time I sort of sort of realised who Mike Dean was as a creature is when he celebrated that Tottenham goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's just running off doing that. And obviously that's sort of like a passion for the game, which I don't think anyone seriously misconstrues it as, oh, he's a Tottenham fan. But then he does these no, odd no. little things of, you know, like grabbing the ball and up, going absolutely mental with it and doing those dummies, those over-egg dummies, which it just, it is distracting and it's sort of like, <laughs> it is sort of trying to make himself like... Yeah, I wonder if they'll get to the point calls. where someone like has a word with him because he's just messing about a bit too much and it's meant to be quite a serious job. Yeah, and... Well, that's, I, that's boring, I guess, but whatever. No, you're correct because a lot of a lot of um, millions of pounds rest on it, billions really. Um, yeah, in terms yeah, of yeah. At the highest level, and he refs at the highest level. I mean, he could be. I think he's he's a UEFA and FIFA referee, so he's refing at Champions League games, but he yeah, yeah. World Cups and that maybe in the future. Well, I mean, even coming out of lockdown, he had to have something different, didn't he? he come back with a beard. Never had a beard in his life, in his professional no. life, but he comes back with a fully fledged beard and. Yeah, yeah. Referees like, the first game. Is, is he the lead ref? Like, obviously, before we had Howard Webb, who was <laughs> the guy who went to World Cups and stuff. Is he yeah. the number one now? I think it's a toss-up between him and Michael Oliver, I yeah. think. I mean, it was Clattenburg for a bit because he did a Champions yeah, League yeah. final, didn't he, in a UEFA Cup final, I think. And a year, he might have done the Euros. He's got a tattoo to remember. Yeah, yeah. Where I is mean, he, he now? He went to like the Middle East, didn't he? I think still. he's a consultant in... Either UAE or Saudi Arabia, but I've, I mean, don't quote me on it. It's one of them, like sort of Middle East, Far East Asia, South Asia, a big part of the world. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it's it's definitely could be even working with the Asian Football Confederation. I don't know. I know it's out east somewhere. Referees, the verdict is they're actually good people inside. Yeah, <laughs> and some people like it's just a bit. Odd. Yeah, some <laughs> like to flaunt the uh, their uh, position of power. That's it. So before we leave the comfortable inertia of the footballing world, I think it's only right that we bring you the 2000s trivial teaser. And last week, our first episode, the clues were that our player was born on September the 11th, 1968. He was a centre-back. He was managed by Walter Smith and Harry Redknapp, played with Ian Dowie, Peter, Peter Beagre, Neville Southall, Frank Lampard and Davos Suka. And at the time, you said West Ham and Everton. And he played yeah. for both of those clubs and he's the current West Bromwich Albion manager, Slaven Bilic. So well done to those who got that, if you did get it. so Maybe that's the approach I need to take, because I, I didn't really think of him, obviously, as a player first. But looking at your next one, I don't know if he'll be a manager. But anyway, go on. Well, I, I picked Slaven Bilic purely because he I don't think many people know that he played in the 2000s. Like I, I think I remember yeah, exactly. from 98. Obviously, he must have done because he'd have been 32 in the 2000s. So, right, let's go on to this one. So, his date of birth is the 1st of May, 1986. He's a centre-forward. Two people who've managed him are Alex McLeish and Miguel Herrera. And five people who've played alongside him. Antonio Valencia, Kevin Phillips, Lee Carsley, Nathan Redmond... And Joe Hart. Yeah. So, do you want to hazard a guess at that? I can't give you a name. I'm ignoring Herrera completely because I think he's just going to throw me off. Um, <laughs> and it might have been like a long spell out in Mexico or whatever. 
Um, but yeah, Valencia probably need to forget about him because Wigan, United, where's Valencia now? I think he's back in Ecuador. I think, I'm not sure. Uh, well, maybe he's Ecuadorian. That's maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. So and you're almost. Redmond. It is hard, and then obviously Joe Hart is now. Yeah, that is trickier. <laughs> Ecuadorians who've played for people under McLeish. So if you think you know the answer, we've left some pretty big clues there, please leave it in the comments section, and the answer will be revealed next episode. So, have you got any yeah. other business before we wrap up today? Usually, it's just something to do with my brain in lockdown. Because <laughs> as, <laughs> as the country goes into lockdown, so does your brain, obviously. So, like... Naturally. I want to talk about confessing uh, being addicted to property programmes. <laughs> yeah, since... This is um, everything to do with lockdown, because... My paternity leave started when lockdown began. So like I didn't yeah. have I didn't just finish working at work and then come home and work at work or go on a furlough. I had like two weeks of doing that. Which to be fair, a lot of people have had longer. So obviously you just watch shitloads TV, smash the normal property programs out of the way, like homes out of the hammer, homes out of the hammer, homes <laughs> under the hammer. <laughs> They're just the standard ones, but one that yeah. we stumbled upon. Uh, brings virtual reality oh, into the uh, show. It's crazy, man. So basically, take your house and put it in VR, but then completely change your house and you get to see in virtual reality. Oh, is this on Channel now 4? Now it sounds proper boring. Is this on, <laughs> <laughs> no, is this on Channel 4 or BBC? It could well be home on I Channel 4. Think, I think I've been at my mum's whilst it's been on. It's um, They watched one episode and weren't big fans of it. I mean, I thought it were a bit bizarre. It's sort Once of like, you get past the VR bit, like, it's literally like half an hour is the, here's our house, here's what we don't like about it, and then they do the VR thing, like, here's what you could do. And then they have to choose between one Irish guy who just literally makes everything out of wood and then puts a, a log burner in the room and that's pretty much his trademark and then this every episode <laughs> every episode honestly if you watch it it's just wood everywhere it takes out yourself and puts wooden bench that's not cheap. good and um, the other woman's pretty like normal and contemporary and stuff the idea always pick her obviously because they're not insane oh yeah um, yeah but yeah then the second half is just like a two-bit grand design to start yeah, I mean, Grand Designs is my probably my favourite because you get some extravagant sort of. Yeah. What? I mean, it, for a bit of background, how long have you been working from home now? About four months. How long on, lockdown has been? Ordering so like, on four months, aren't it? Yeah. Well, it yeah, would, it would be days. just over four months, considering, yeah, yeah March 24th, wasn't it? So, yeah. yeah. I mean, my, one of my most hated property programs, I mean, that's more of a renovation. The moving house ones, I mean, are good. The, what, I can't remember what it's called, but they've got a pick between 
England or well Britain and Australia. Oh, and yeah. It's always a family, and always the kids think Australia because they're, they're stupid and they don't factor in anything like jobs or. And you get these people saying, oh, "I earn I earn twenty grand here, and I might be getting a job for thirty five thousand dollars." When obviously the conversion rate is pants, and they like, yeah, yeah. "How can we manage it? Can we?" And the kids are always like, "And they, it's always like a democracy, as if like if there's five, three kids and two parents, and the three kids go, yeah, let's go to Australia. Are they legally obliged to go to Australia? Or do they have to oh, you mean like at the end where they say, yeah. what are you going to do? They, they do like, uh, oh, yeah, I think they they do like mean, this. Yeah. I've got a biscuit tin, right? They do that. Yeah, yeah. And they've got to, it goes invisible. It don't go invisible in the show. <laughs> but like, they, they, it's bizarre. I don't know if it's like a place in the sun cast off. It might even be on BBC, but... Not sure. I know what you mean. I've not really watched it, but yeah, maybe that'll be my next thing. Do it's watch probably it's probably got like, down under in the title. Yeah, like yeah. A place down well. under or some shite like that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my so favourite is me. probably Grand Designs. What what other ones have you uh, been watching whilst you've been under lockdown? Then a lot of place in the sun. Yeah, Don't know why that's that really. Yeah. Did you watch it thinking? Oh yeah. I'll watch it because I've been to that place. Oh, I'm interested in that place. But all you're seeing is the inside of like apartments. So. Yeah, you're not seeing. <laughs> I mean, the idea is that, obviously. That would be a DOS presenting those programs. Oh, right? yeah. Oh. Well, there's usually. I think it's a place in the sun where the woman goes to. Well, it's usually Spain. It's almost definitely always Spain. They always yeah. go. The She's in Spain and then. The other presenter, the guy, draws the short straw and always has to look at the ones in England, and then they decide. Oh, yeah. oh, is it called Home or Away or something like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a spin-off. That's a, spin-off, a tenuous yeah. football link there. I, t- I tend to stick with the car, PR, uh, just placing this one. I like the. I just like the generic ones in Britain where they look at this dead house and they <laughs> decide how to do it up and you always get the people who are blatantly landlords who say oh yeah i'm, I'm, I'm gonna live in this i mean no you, yeah. you just pulled up in a jaguar xf well let's think about homes under the hammer like which is arguably gives you as much pull as any other program on tv is you've got to watch it through to the end kind of thing because yeah yeah and then it's always the same result of it like put a <laughs> modern kitchen in and charge like 500 quid a month you know what's going to happen so. <laughs> yeah, yeah per calendar month all that yeah if you're going to rent it out which is obviously what they're going to do because why would they be on it i mean I, I, right, there's a, there's definitely, there anyway. yeah With dion. <laughs> yeah dion i mean stairs up to the bedroom all that shit <laughs> i mean that homes under the hammer is probably i think it's probably the biggest property show maybe in britain I'm not sure on that in one. In terms of episodes, it's got to be. There's like oh, thousands yeah. of episodes. But the sound editing is really good. On uh, Oh, the choice of songs. I don't know if I'd call it sound editing, but the music. The song selection's really. great because it's always yeah. something intrinsically linked. I mean, like FIFA, uh, ITVs, you know when ITV football used to do like a competition? Yeah. Like go to the Euros and watch the F1 and all that shit. Their um, song choice was Love's Not a Competition by the Kaiser Chiefs, and it's sort of along those same lines, isn't it? Yeah. One word in the title might link to this. Yeah, tenuous link. And that's half of the fulfilment in Homes Under the Hammers, I think. 
Yeah, big time. And obviously, as I said, Grand Designs. And I don't really watch much TV, <laughs> to be honest, outside of Cartoon Network and Sky Sports. So I've been Not sort of... Left. I'm glad the football is back because TV now is just repeats because I can't make any more TV. Yeah. So yeah. thank God for the football on pretty much every night, saving us from another repeat of a show we don't really want to watch, but... Episode two in the bag. What do you reckon? That was alright, yeah. Thundering along. Yeah. We'll be back next week. We've not picked what we're gonna choose yet, but it'll be more of the same, I imagine. Another on this day and another 2000s moment, as well as the trivial teaser for our Alex McLeish management yeah. Antonio Valencia teammate. So the Mexican is the Ecuadorian. I'll give you another clue. He's he's Ecuadorian, so. Oh, he's done it. (laughs) See you next week. See ya. Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.